You heard a lot about weekly options in these recent episodes. You're going to hear a lot more about them coming up. If weeklies seem like your thing or you want to dip your toe in the water, you are in luck. Schaefer's is running a holiday promotion for weekly options countdown or WAC as we call it. For December's issue, we're offering WAC for just $30. That is six weekly trades for a total of $30. Math ain't my strong suit, but I'm pretty sure that comes out to $5 a trade. Feel free to check me on that. Click the link in this episode's bio to claim this year-end offer. And now, our market mashup, mashup. Welcome back to Schaefer's Market Mashup. I am recording this on Monday, December 19th. Friends of the program will remember I did this last year. Basically spent the last two months of the year cutting up the previous year's episodes, the highlights, the funny parts, the enlightening parts. You know, mashing up the mashup. It has to be done at the end of the year. I always like to look back and see how Things have progressed, what I've learned, who I've had on. And also, I'd like to take this time to thank everybody that came on. All of my friends over at SIBO Global Markets, my good friends over at Tasty Trade, Tony Batista and Jamal Chandler, some of my new friends, Tyler Wood, Michael Oyster, Lex Lutheringhausen, uh, Katie Schaefer, you know, the one who makes it all happen over here at Schaefer's. Uh, my good buddy Chris Preibel over here at Schaefer's as well. I thank you everybody for coming on. I, I I truly enjoy these conversations. I enjoy putting them together. I enjoy prepping for them. I enjoy listening back to them. And it ain't because of me. It's it's not like I hear my myself talk. Thank you so much. Everybody have a happy holiday. This will be part one that takes us from about January to mid-May. Part two will come out right before the new year. Um, And yeah, I'm done talking. Here is the best of 2022 mashup, part one. First up, we've got Chris Preibel, our very own senior market strategist. He stopped by mid-January to offer a couple snapshots of what he was looking at in 2022. It was fun playing this back to hear how he nailed a lot of this stuff. Enjoy. No, I like both of those stocks very much. Eaton is more of a power management company. Uh, they make the charging stations that you'll connect your EV to uh, in public. Uh, they make produce microgrids, which is another way of saying if the power grid went out in your community, do you have a microgrid that will still provide functional power to whatever military base or to a city or to a company that has a manufacturing or distribution facility, you can set up your own microgrid to separate yourself from the overall power grid. So I like eating a lot. Uh, Carrier Global is a push towards cleaner air in our homes, in our schools, in our businesses. I think COVID has taught us that you have to manage air quality. Their carrier is an HVAC company. So if you get your heating or ventilation or air conditioning done, they'll come in, in with these clean air techniques, uh, scan scan the air and disinfect it. It's, it's really interesting stuff that I think will be broadly adopted uh, over the next few years. So those are good places. As you know, I'm always into carbon capture. So mm-hmm. companies that 
that are trying to reduce carbon in the atmosphere and make the economy run cleaner and more smoothly without the environmental degradation. Um, companies that. like Blue, Bloom Energy and Baker Hughes are a couple that come to mind. Uh, I still like General Electric. Of course, I'm biased being in Cincinnati here. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm excited to see how the EV space evolves from the manufacturing companies to the battery producers and how it evolves over time. It seems one could argue that there's a lot of supply. You know, there's Rivian's and there's Tesla's, obviously, and then Ford and GM have theirs. And then there's Fisker and there's Lucid. I could, I could go, I could go on and on and on and give you all these names of some of them. None of us, have, you know, we haven't even heard of them, but they have a $2 billion market cap. And you're like, wow, I should probably know about this company. So I'm going to, I'm curious how that with the semiconductor shortage and the demand from public and the demand from government to push into the space. I'm very curious to see how that unravels and who are the winners who perhaps gets bought by another company and and just the whole evolution of that space. That's, I'm very interested to see how that'll work out. A week later, I had Matt Moran of SIBO Global Markets come on to talk about how options generate income and help dampen portfolio volatility. Pretty important right now. The, the speculation of options the, and the attractiveness of the how inexpensive it is has always been a caveat for the product. And that's where people lost. I mean, let's be straightforward. If you can buy a call option for a fraction of the price on an underlying stock and have the opportunity to potentially appreciate in price and, and you could make a, a nice windfall. But what people don't do or haven't done until now is, well, what happens if your probability of success is less than 10%? So what people are now looking at the options product because of the efficiency of the, the the product itself, you know, penny wide spreads, great liquidity. Um, now they're looking at it and saying, well, I need to be more strategic and I need to look at it in terms of success. And so um, it, at this juncture, when you look at the options world, and I think the growth has come because of the fact that there are more participants, that the pricing is is very efficient. In other words, bid ask spreads are 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 tight and volume is there on the bid ask. And most importantly, people are going from being speculators to doing things like you were saying, generate income by selling calls against a, a security or a portfolio of securities that they have, much like acting like a bond and using that security as a collateral, which a lot of your listeners have, have, have learned about. But you're also seeing people when markets get at all time highs, like what we're coming off of right now, and they're actually selling cash secured puts as an opportunity to buy stocks at a lower level. And while they await, they get paid a premium. So Patrick, now they're starting to adopt these strategies that as a former market maker and a liquidity provider, we were quite often doing, selling more options than we were ever buying. And that's how we made our money, which was basically trying to make that difference between fair value and where we bought and sold options. Well, people are now doing it strategically put in sell discipline with selling calls, and um, buying at discounts by selling puts. as just a simple example. February, Super Bowl time for the Cincinnati Bengals. I had Tasty Trades' Tony Batista, a longtime friend of the pod. He was back, and he wanted to talk seasonality and randomness in the market. 
I mean, spoiler alert, it's pretty random. Um, I know the, the CBOE has come out with the uh, weekly options now that, that will uh, basically be daily. You'll have an expiration uh, uh, every day of the, of the week in some small products. like Well, not small products, in a small subset of products like SPY, SPX, that kind of thing. Um, so, so quickies, which is what when we first invented them, what they were called, they're now weekly options. Probably a better name, a little yeah. bit more politically correct yeah. again. That's the theme. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Um, retail investors have embraced it. Now, I don't know if it's the best place for all retail investors. I, I prefer you to take a little bit more time and be in monthly options just to give yourself some time to be right, be a little bit more strategic, like I just said, with a poor man's covered call. But, you know, like a, like a fly to a, or a moth to a flame, you know, we get we get dragged into this you know, instant gratification, instant pain type of thing. We're always looking for a patent on what's going on with the week. I mean, um, if it starts off bullish, will it end off bullish? You know, it, it really is random. We've done a lot of research on it. We have not been able to find any patents. There is some seasonality to it. Uh, you know, during earnings season, maybe it's a little bit more bullish than other times, but it's it's way too random. And I, and I think it's way too close of a look at it. The The... The thing I've always heard in my 40 some odd years of trading is, you know, the January effect, you know, you know, so goes January, so goes the market kind of thing. And we did a, a, another excellent, I think, research piece. And again, you take it for what it's worth. You know, to me, it looks random. Maybe somebody else can see a patent. And if you look at, you know, 20, uh, 2021, for instance, a January was down 1%. For the year, we were up over 26%. You know, uh, you go to 2019, we were up 8% almost for the year. And we were up 29, I mean, for January, we were up almost 29% for the year end. Uh, go to 2016, and I'm just cherry picking ones because so, they're extreme. You go to 2016, the January effect, we were down 5% in January. We were up 9 or 9.5% at the year end. I, there really is no padding in every anything that you see here whether it be a one week time frame or a monthly time frame i thoroughly enjoyed tyler wood uh, of chartered market technicians coming on uh to talk about the future of technical analysis he is a treat to listen to i mean you learn so much about him you he is a treat to listen to you learn so much about the market history i mean he he blends it all together into this just amazing cocktail of information so enjoy so uh i read a book long ago uh called my life as a quant by emmanuel dermon he's a professor at columbia university and uh options pricing theory uh genius mm -hmm. uh, but what he said is that when you do physics you're playing against god and you're playing against god's creatures when you're trading markets and that that line uh you know in finance you're playing against god's creatures to me is just the you know star trekian you know <laughs> the, the the horizon is always further out in the sense that uh human beings and our human nature are always going to drive markets to irrational extremes they're going to create opportunities for arbitrage and, and new discovery. And uh, John Bollinger talks about first principles of the market and that if there is something that is pervasive, that is uh, resilient through lots of market cycles, it tends to come down to some observable trait about the markets and really about human behavior. So technical analysis 
uh, <laughs> not to go back to uh, TA 101, but this started hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, mid 18th century in the rice pits of Osaka, Japan. There's a guy named Monohisa Homa who understood that, you know, when it was festival season and the springtime weather was out and the cherry blossoms, traders would come into the rice pits exuberant and they would over trade and that drove prices higher. And if they were, you know, particularly despondent, depressed, uh, maybe it was, you know, seasonal effects or uh, something else happening in, in the community, uh, they would trade less, prices would come down. And what he discovered was that he could track prices and then trade in, in the highest probability direction of what he was seeing from the behavior of other traders. That is candlestick charting. So everybody who's ever pulled up a chart probably looks at candlesticks. And we have our, our old pal, Monahisa Homa, to thank for that. that and unreal. All, right? It's unreal. The That's technical crazy. analysis is the oldest game in town, and it goes back to the mid-18th century. Now, what I, the point I want to make is that by capturing price data and then putting it in a visual tool, you can see on a candle what the behavior of the traders in those rice pits back in the day or any market now what the behavior is uh, that's driving price action. That's data visualization. That's taking a whole bunch of numbers, which, you know, for the human brain, right, infinite decimals, uh, you know, it's all nonsense, but a picture makes sense. And so uh, there's a there's another great quant uh, named Carson Dahlberg, also a CMT charter holder. And uh, he, you know, he does a lot of coding in Python, uh, works, works uh, with a ton of systematic uh, strategy development. But what Carson really loves about technicals is that he could throw some code together in Python, uh, but pop out a chart and instantly know whether it's given him the results that he wanted or not, right? From the picture, he can fail fast, to use the uh, the development term for software engineers, uh, by just looking at the picture because it's not the expected outcome. So there's a problem with the code. You can you know go back to the drawing board. Technical analysis and the new data streams that we've got coming at us, like just think about the cryptocurrency space. You've got immediate visibility. It's anonymous, but you can immediately see exactly where every transaction is at. That's that's an incredible uh, fertile garden for technicians to think about pulling those data sets into new visual tools. And then on the visual side, right, things like... Um, you know, three-dimensional, you know, if you're looking at volatility curves or if you wanted to start thinking about your charts, bringing in other information, maybe it's a fundamental factor. Get that on your chart. Uh, you, you can get a lot of information much faster from a visual tool than you can from reading spreadsheet after spreadsheet. And throughout my MBA, uh, and <laughs> I, I feel very fortunate to have gone to a good school and had great professors. But man, pouring over 10Ks and 10Qs to understand uh, and and then estimate, right? There's tons of variables that you're just guessing at. Uh, you, you put that in your model and you guess at what fair value of a company is. That often has to be restated. It is just an estimate. It doesn't really help you trade. It helps you understand whether there's quality there of the company. And it's, it's those underlying fundamentals that'll drive trends. But man, a visual tool, uh, you can move a lot faster through a lot more securities and have a real comprehensive picture of, of you know, what's going to work for you and your portfolio by using technical analysis. Mid-March, had another fun one in-house with uh, Katie Schaefer, my boss. Uh, she wanted to talk about confronting stigmas within the stock market and women, and she pulls a lot of 
interesting you know, and eye-opening anecdotes about her time coming up in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, ten years. You know, when we first, when I first started and went through like all of that um, training that we do here at Chaffers about like what are options, what's the stock market, like what in all of our like internal education programs. We used to have a book that was literally called Women in Investing, and it compared investing to shopping. And I thought, and this was like before anybody wanted to say anything about women in investing and there really weren't that many women who invested and I was like that is so offensive (laughs) because there's more things that women understand than just shopping but um so I remember that like as part like one of the first things I learned I was just like wow that is there's investing and then there's investing for women and it is different um but I think that just in general like you know Wall Street uh, just completely dominated by men. And um, when I did the partnership stuff um, earlier in my career, um, I'd go to New York and I would just be in rooms full of just like seasoned men. Like they have been in the industry for a really long time. They'd seen it all. And I was just like this like 20 something, like with the right last name Mm -hmm. to get their attention, but not like, you know, I still like show up and they're like, wow, she's like a teenager. Mm -hmm. And she's like asking us, she's like coming with these ideas. And it was like very difficult to be taken seriously. Um, Then, I mean, like there were a few great people that I met that didn't make it, make me feel like I wasn't being taken seriously. But I would say like the majority of people were like, just kind of, you know, brush it off. Like, Oh, it was nice to meet with her. Like, can you bring Bernie back in at some point, yeah. you know, like yeah. let's bring this conversation around or yeah, they'd ask for my dad to be part of the meetings and stuff. And it didn't really like at the time rub me the wrong way mm-hmm. because I was just like, I'm, I don't know. I'm still yeah. new. So I kind of just associated it with being new and it could have been totally associated. Like that could have been why they were like, Right. I know. I know. Right. Emma rolls her eyes. Yeah. It's not. (laughs) But I think that essentially like, you know, for real Wall Street, like going down on Wall Street, like there are still like the restaurants that they go to are all men. And like you have to get like a special exception for women to go with you. You have to basically be with a man who was like a member there and like women can't be members. So um, I still remember that kind of stuff at the beginning. But like here, our traders have like trying to remember we have had like one or two of our traders who were women um so it's just like it kind of builds on that stereotype that like men are the people who manage money men are the people who invest men are the analytical ones you know all those stereotypes kind of just kind of get reinforced throughout and like my dad is like the best trader that I know and man analytical (laughs) like you know it's like the stereotypes are very cyclical it's not it's like there are men there who are doing the analysis and are doing the trading and are doing well and then you're like there's not any women there and there's you know you don't even know that you have a stereotype that just men are in finance um over the years not just with like COVID I've definitely seen like a big increase in our customer base of women who are looking to um take control of their finances and it's not just like single women who like are like you know either widows or divorced and trying to like recoup whatever's going on with their finances like it's women who are just like actively like married or not they want to take control of their investments they want to understand 
what options trading can do for their portfolio. And it's very refreshing. It's still not the percentage you'd like to see. Um, but like there are a lot of sites like Elvest and there's a, there's a bunch of news or magazines too that are just dedicated to highlighting people and women in finance who have moved the needle because they need that highlight because everything is about the men that move the needle. And so like those highlights of women in finance are just so important. Later in March, I had Lex Lutheringhausen of Tradier on to talk about option strategies that account for volatility. So vol safeness, let's not call it vol proof. I agree with you. Um, vol safety. What, what tends to work there is um, what I see a lot of is iron condors. Okay. And I don't know if I need to explain that, but it's, they typically do a short put spread and a short call spread. Both short strikes are out of the money and it's accompanied by a, a farther out of the money long side on each, on each leg that put in the call. So you've got four legs and they're hedged off so that there are no uh, short units in the equation. So all the units are neutral. So there's a defined limit to your risk um, because you're both buying and selling a like option on each side, the call side and the put side, you tend to get vol neutrality. Now there is a vol to it. Okay. Well, it's not vol zero, but it tends to neutralize the, uh, the Vega risk, which is the volatility exposure in that spread. So iron condors, we see a ton of our, our client base at, at, at trade year brokerage. They, they love that trade. A, you can take advantage of higher premium, right? Which we see now safely because you have two legs hedged to it uh, or attached to it um, that are long as well. So that graph tends to look like, you know, a big trapezoid of sorts with fans out in the ends and uh, it's limited risk, limited uh, reward. Um, great trade. Look, at, I got to be honest. I know a lot of educators in the space uh, and they use that, that strategy uh, a lot. And they'll do it so that they may position it in front months so they can take advantage of that time. And these, these roll off and they roll it to the next weekly and they keep rolling it. And they have some maybe a longer strategy that has units to it behind it and farther out months so that if there's a massive move, you might collect something back there from the massive move. But you're collecting your decay and your premium each successive month as, as we go along. About, after about a month off, I returned in May with SIBO Global Markets and Ariane Adams. We talked about how weekly options can help benefit or are tailored to a current trader's psyche. This is a, this is a great question, Patrick, and it's one that you know we um, continue to monitor. And I think that the prior is probably more um, what we're seeing rather excuse me, the, the latter is what we're seeing rather than the prior, meaning these market environments really has not scared off the retail and or institutional investors. I think that they've gotten smarter, more nimbler on a, how they're approaching the marketplace, um, whether that's um, reducing exposure in single stock names and increasing exposure in macro indices or ETFs mm -hmm. um, to protect portfolios tends to be some common themes you see when there's such a significant down day like we're experiencing today. So um, when you have these rapidly changing 
um, market conditions, rising rates, the UK war, things transpiring overnight from the US session is when you start to see these types of um, trading patterns accelerate with regards to maybe more reliance upon index options. Furthermore, even digging a little bit deeper, you start to see that um, investors have really thought thoughtfully around the relationship between implied and realized volatility and times when implied vols have really traded under where they're realizing. That screams that the market or maybe that investment theory is, is running a little bit cheap. And we've seen net buying or inflows where investors continue to look for value, value in that hedge or that that option contract to combat some of the or realize um, some outsized gains, not only in the marketplace, but in that volatility in that contract. Um, and now with the S&P clearly today, maybe even approaching year to date lows, owning short dated options um, has been attractive um, from owning a gamma perspective, given the existing market conditions and these intraday swings tends to accelerate that um, that that gamma position. And it, it increases the likelihood of large intraday moves and a better break-even possibility. And that's where we've seen an acceleration in volumes in shorter dated contracts to capitalize on some of these um, differences between implied and realized as well as accelerating levels in gamma. So I think Coming back to the original question, I think you know traders will continue to be nimble and opportunistic, but they remain active in the marketplace. Not a week later, another friend of the program, Jamal Chandler of Tasty Trade, offered some advice to retail traders that were currently deep in the red. Awfully prophetic, this one turned out to be. Yeah, I saw some of those stories, too. And I got to say, I mean, some of them are a little sensationalized. The fact that it's just leaving it, putting it all on retail traders, because um, there's firms out there called Tiger Global that are really struggling as well. And there's plenty of hedge funds that are also struggling. So it's not just retail traders. It's everybody in this market, as evidenced by the type of moves that you've seen more recently. I mean, Coin, for example, what's happening today after their earnings, a letter U, Unity Software, when you see names like that, Teladoc, of course, a lot of those names that are have been within the the uh, ARC ETF. These are all not only retail held, but also institutionally held. And you can see people are leaving for the exits <laughs> more recently. And so it's everybody, you know, it's it's everybody that's been been struggling in these situations. So to your question, what I would say to a lot of retail traders, you know, one of the things that we do at Tasty often has always been to sort of try and somewhat, I, I would say, plan for these type of situations. And by that, I mean, you know, a lot of our mechanics and guidelines are based off of where the current volatility levels are in the market and, and that namely in the VIX. So in these situations, you're never supposed to be 100% totally in with all of your capital because you just don't know what's going to happen. And it's an unpredictable market, even when we are you know, on highs. So I guess the biggest thing is to, if, if there's a situation where somebody didn't understand these mechanics and didn't have that going for them already, and they're in a situation where they're at a loss, you know, the unfortunate part about this market is that a lot of times losses lead to learning. Hopefully their losses weren't too catastrophic. And it's this is a good time to learn about how to develop mechanics so that you don't put yourself in these situations because the market can be unpredictable. 
I was red hot in May with three episodes. I finished off the month, though, with Michael Oyster of Option Solutions, and this was an awesome little bit about the similarities between sports, athletics, and investing. I've never thought about that, but I do. Um, and I would say that there's uh, a difference between the level of intensity in soccer relative to track and field. Track and field is is um, not as continuously intense, I, should, I would say. Um, but track and field has the, the interesting um, characteristic of being an individual sport. Um, I remember as a sprinter being out there, you know, getting in the blocks, um, getting ready to, to run, and there's no one else to rely on. No one's going to come get you. You know, you, you are wholly by yourself on an island, and, you know, learning to accept that independence of performance is something that I think benefited me as a younger person. Um, but then, you know, you run for hopefully no more than 10 or 11 seconds, and then and you, you sit around for a while, so it doesn't have that same level of intensity. The other thing, too, about team sports, and I agree with you, um, you have to learn, learn to rely on other people. You have to accept that you can only do as well as you can and then rely on other people. But um, to your broader point, you're not going to win every time. No question about it. You, you just can't accept. You can't believe that you're going to win every single time. And you have to be able to accept loss and move on and, and have a short, short memory. You know, like a, a, they say about a good pitcher in baseball has a short memory. Um, I think that's that's a healthy way of thinking about investing, too. Thank you.